Amen. Check it out. It started like just any other day, you know. It was a small rural community in Wisconsin. How many of you guys have been to Wisconsin? Is it true they're state birds mosquito? Uh, that, oh, okay, that's Alaska, apparently. But anyway, anyway so, so they're up there in Wisconsin, right? I mean, it's a normal day. They're off to work. The farmers, they're doing their crops. The kids are going to school. But all that was to change in a flash, literally. What started out as a deliberate fire to help clear some forest land for some more farming, it literally turned into a flaming nightmare. In fact, a weather front came in. The winds picked up 100 and some miles an hour. In fact, the town that it started in was gone within an hour. The whole town completely gone. In fact, it was so bad that the witnesses there, it continued to go out of control. And they said superheated flames of at least 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit advanced on winds of 110 miles an hour, blew in the surrounding area, created, listen, nature's nuclear explosion. And it just, just created a firestorm. It created what was called a fire whirl. Do you know what that is? That's basically a tornado, except it's made of fire. Okay? And literally, this thing, listen, it threw railroad cars, even houses into the air. In fact, it was this fire, with the fire whirl, that the United States and the British military studied during World War II so they can create their own firestorms in their bombing campaign against Germany and Japan. It all started here. Right? Now, for those who tried to escape, their fate was not good at all. Listen, some, it was so hot, they spontaneously combusted. Boom, just went up in smoke. Others were cremated by the heat. Others died instantly from breathing in the poisoned, superheated air. Some died of smoke inhalation. Some were run over by panicked livestock, crushed in collapsed buildings, impaled by flying debris, even pulverized by things dropping out of the sky, dropping on them. Some actually even committed suicide rather than having to face death by this horrible fire. In fact, one person stated, listen, it was so horrific that some people thought the end of the world was upon them. And they even said, quote, this must be what hell looks like. Wow. When all was said and done, some 3.8 million acres were scorched, 16 towns were damaged or totally destroyed, 2,500 people died, but they really never had a total death toll because there was no records. They all burned up and there was no people left alive to take the account. It became, listen, the worst, single worst wildfire in all of U.S. history, both in size and fatality, but it's been totally forgotten. You know why? Because it happened the exact same day of a more famous fire called the Chicago Fire. But nobody knows this one, and it's worse. The year was 1871. The disaster, of course, was the Great Peshtigo Fire. Now, <clears throat> how many of you guys have ever heard of the Great Peshtigo Fire? Praise God, I don't have to preach online. That's right. Now, I didn't think you guys would get that one, but I think one thing we can't all agree upon, that was one of the worst disasters of all kind, all kind right? Oh, of course, I think it's common sense, okay? But again, folks, with all due respect to those who lost their lives in the Peshtigo fire, what if I were to tell you I know a disaster that makes that fire look like a mere puff of smoke? And what if I were to tell you that this disaster didn't occur at just one place at one country in one state at one time, but it's going on right now, today, all over the world, and it's been leaving a trail of death and destruction for centuries. Once again, folks, we were talking about the satanic war on the Christian, okay? And the facts are this. We Christians, we don't battle here and there once in a while in a blue moon. Are you kidding me? We go to spiritual war every single day. Whether you see it, feel it, believe it or not, the moment you got saved, you entered into a real-life spiritual war against real-life actual demonic entities whose sole purpose is to destroy you and to extinguish your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. And so in order for you and I, because God has not left us hanging high and dry, in order for you and I to stop getting duped and unnecessarily spiritually slapped around all over the place, okay, we're going to continue our study, the satanic war on the Christian. Now, as we've been going through our study, we saw the first thing we need to know if we're going to win this war, Christ has already given us the victory. If we're going to appropriate that victory, the first thing we've got to do is know who your enemy is. The second thing, what your enemy is like. The third thing, the tactic of your enemy. The fourth thing, the destruction of your enemy. The fifth thing, the temptation of your enemy. And the last eight times, praise God, the what? The protection from our enemy. And what we've been seeing is God has not left us hanging high and dry in dealing with this actual demonic war against Satan and the evil ones, right? He didn't say, hey, too bad, see you later. No, he's given us his full-blown protection. He, and he's done that with his amazing weaponry, okay? Uh, and, and he says, if you just do what I say, stand strong in my strength and put on my armor, listen, you will be victorious every single time. Isn't that good news? Right? And that's what we've been seeing with the armor of God. Now, we've already seen the first thing is designed for war. The second thing is designed for victory. The third thing is designed to what? To just stare at and look cool. Amaze your friends. That's right. Because it's a fashion statement. No, it's designed to wear. You put the stuff on. In fact, we saw in the Greek, it was urgent in the Greek. You got to put this on. You got to put all of it on. And you got to put it on now. Why? Because every single day the enemy's after you. This is not a game. So put on God's appropriation. Put on his armor and have a great day. Amen? 
God hasn't left us hanging high and dry. Now, so in order to enjoy that victory, we've been tearing this apart piece by piece so we don't miss what is going on. Now, we've already seen that first piece. God says, get it on and get it on now was the belt of truth. The second piece was the breastplate of righteousness. The third one was the shoes of peace. The fourth one was the shield of faith, okay? And last time, if you recall, was the helmet of salvation. And what we saw is it's a consistent pattern here from the word of God. Just like with the belt, just like with the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, so it is with the helmet. It's not a literal helmet that you go buy and you put on your head. He's using a spiritual analogy from a Roman soldier's equipment. It is a spiritual helmet that represents certain things. And we saw when you take a look at a Roman soldier's helmet, it did a couple things for him. It protected the head from some serious injury. And of course, you can only put it on by yourself, right? And that's what we saw there. This helmet that Paul's basically reminding us, the spiritual truth he wants us to get into our heads. He says, you need to wrap around your head like a helmet, a protective helmet every single day, this wonderful truth about the helmet of salvation, our salvation. And that is this, that our salvation, praise God, is for all eternity. That when you get saved, you're saved forevermore because it is Christ's salvation, not ours, amen? It's based on his work on the cross, not ours, amen? Right? So when you get saved, praise God, wrap that around your head, you're getting to heaven. Isn't that a good thing to know? Especially if you blow it and you're not always victorious when you give in to sin. That's a good thing to know. The second thing we saw is also salvation that one day we're done with all this suffering, right? This isn't always going to be like this. One day the scripture tells us that this is all going to be done. Satan will be bound. There's no more fighting, no more struggling, no more sin, no more spiritual warfare, crying, pain, suffering. Woohoo! One day it's done. Isn't that good news? Wrap your head around that. That's what he's talking about. You're saved forevermore, and one day you ain't got to deal with this baloney. That's a wonderful truth when you're dealing with spiritual warfare. But I'm still preaching on it, so guess what? There's got to be more. That's right, whoever said that, Ryan. There's got to be more, and there is. The sixth piece of armor we're going to deal with now, oh, this is good. If we can get this one, man, this will revolutionize your walk with Jesus Christ. And dare I say, why well, you better get into this book. The Bible, the Word of God. And that is, we're going to now get into the sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? Well, let's go find out. God tells us, especially on this one, very bluntly, which tells me he really wants us to get this one. Okay, for sure, right? Open your Bibles to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, let's take a look. Once again, what is this next piece of armor that God says you better get this thing on and you better get it on now if you want to enjoy the victory over spiritual warfare, right? Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's word. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 17. Here's what it says. Finally, be strong in yourself, right? Pull your, no, I'm sorry, wrong translation. Finally, be strong in what? In the Lord, in his mighty power. And you put on the full armor of God so that you can, not maybe, not might, take your stand against the devil's schemes. Why? Because this is what's going on every day. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to what? To stand your ground. And then after you've done everything, to what? To stand. Well, how do you do that? Well, here you go. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which, which you can, listen, not maybe, not my, you can extinguish how many? All the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You may be seated if you can there okay but again now we see the sixth piece of spiritual supernatural military equipment that God gives us in advance so that we can effectively struggle and come out on the bottom and live a defeated life as a Christian no so we can come out on top even dealing with spiritual warfare this is the sixth piece that he gives us to what to buckle under pressure to bend to go backwards no to stand our ground when the enemy comes your way and that is the sword of the spirit Right? And again, with every single piece, that's the common sense question. Well, okay, what in the world is the sword of the Spirit? Now, I love this one, right? Because this one saves you some serious cash. Did you know you don't have to pray and fast 15 years to figure this out? Oh, if I only knew what the sword of the Spirit was. Did you know you don't have to buy and spend 200 bucks for that fasting conference with meals included to figure this out, to get a word from God? Did you know you don't have to do that? This one, I love it because God tells us the sword of the Spirit is what? The word of God, right? The other ones we had to let the scripture interpret scripture and find out specifically what he's talking about. But this one, he tells you right out of the gates. It is the word of God. What's the word of God? The Bible. Which tells me God really wants us to get this one. 
We didn't have to do any detective work on this one, right? You need to understand the sword of the Spirit is right here, Christian. It's the Word of God. And God is letting you know that loud and clear. Okay, now, I do believe that when we take the time, though, to go ahead and go through, again, as we've been doing every single time, the Roman soldier's equipment and certainly what he's, his sword looked like, we're going to find a couple other nuggets in here, too, on top of God being blunt with this is the Word of God. But let's take a look at that Roman soldier's uh, sword. And the first thing we're going to see is the sword was, listen, it provided what? An offensive attack. Right? Very, very important, okay? Distinction in the armor here. Let's take a look. The Roman sword of the day was called the Machaira. It was a short sword, as you can see there, right? It's about one and a half to two feet long, right? Made of iron, uh, double-edged, right? Not just sharp on one side. Both sides were sharp because no matter how, it's, it's, it's going to get you, right? And uh, it was a precision instrument, right? In fact, the word Machaira in the Greek literally means a large knife used for cutting up flesh, Right? That's what you want when you catch fish. You want to flay. You need to, it's, that's exactly what this sword was like. That's what the word actually means. Now, this, this soldier, they were taught with this sword to stab, to thrust with it. Okay? And, and the reason why is because it wasn't meant for this. You know, it's called, that's the old slashing. I'm going to, I'll hack you. I'll, yeah. No, no, no. They were used the sword to stab and to thrust. Okay? Now, the reason why is because when you basically tried to slash somebody like that, yeah, it, it would usually get deflected, or if it did go into somebody, it would stop at the bone or whatever, and that does hurt, last time I checked, okay, but they're still able to function, right, but listen, right, but with a short sword, when you stab it, it would penetrate, and it would almost always get into a vital organ, and at that point, you're done, right, so this was not a slashing sword, this was a precision cutting, stabbing, thrusting sword that was designed to take the enemy out every single time. Now, Romans did have different swords, and one of them was the slashing kind, it was called the Romfa. As you can see there, this was a huge manly sword. This was, if you're going to get a sword, this is a man's sword, right? And that's what it was, a big, huge, six to eight feet long. Do you realize that's bigger than me? That's big! That's like a Nephilim sword or something, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> those swords, they did have them. Now, those were the ones that they wanted, you, they wanted to hack off your arm and your head and stuff. That's what that was used for. But here's the problem with that. It, you had to use both hands. It was so big, you couldn't do it with one. You had to, but guess what? When you're holding with both hands, what can't you hold in the other? You don't have a shield, right? You don't have a shield. That was the problem with that. And they didn't have, back in the day, full metal suits, right, in the Roman army like we see in the medieval times. Now, and so you didn't have a shield, so guess what? You were exposed for what the shield could protect you with, the arrows and the spears and stuff of that nature, okay? And what happened, if somebody did come against you with one of the large swords, the romphim, okay, all the guy who had the short sword would have to do, okay, this guy, he's coming in, he's coming at you with both hands, he's, oh, all he would have to do is just dodge one of your swings, right? Oh, so, okay, hey, right? And then he's got a short sword, he'd go, you're done. Nice try there, Arnold right? Your toast, right? That's why the Roman soldier had the short sword. The other one was manlier, but this one was much more effective for taking the enemy out, okay? Uh, it was light. It could be maneuvered quickly with relatively ease. Again, you could use one hand, and the other one could hold the shield. Much better protection. It also had a big metal knob at the end of the base. I don't know if you can see it there. That not just gave better grip, but you could thrust like this forward, but you could also use that knob in the back, bang, right in the back of the head or some other Manly thing you do in battle, right? So you can get it coming and going with this kind of sword. Oh, and by the way, this sword would hang on the what? The soldier's side via his what? The belt. Remember what we saw according to the word of God? What was the belt of truth? The word of God. So here you have a sword which is the word of God. And this baby hangs on the word of God. Once again, what you're seeing, already we already talked about this, but what you were seeing is the word of God. The Bible holds all the armor equipment together. The Bible is through all of this, right? And that's why I think one of the reasons why God is so blunt with this one, he wants you to know what this one is. It is the word of God. The word of God, if you're not in the word of God, none of the armor works. You understand? That's how important this is. But the Machaira, the sword sword, it was a precision cutting instrument cutting up the opponent's flesh. It was an offensive weapon. Now that's important because up until now, what has the armor been? It's been defensive in nature. Right? I got a helmet to, right? I got a shield to, right? I got the breastplate of righteousness in case you, 
But this one is the first one so far that is offensive in nature. Now that's good news because that means now we got something to stop the attack in the first place. What a concept. You don't have to take it and keep getting beat up unnecessarily, right? One guy says this, the Roman short sword could be used to defend the soldier against the attacks of the enemy, but it could also be used for quick offensive thrust to jab into the enemy's body. And so obviously it was a very important piece to the soldier's armor. Now listen, even if you had none of the other pieces, maybe they all just flew off, right? Listen, if you had at least your sword, you still had some hope in the battle. Right? With the sword, you could ward off. You could deflect the enemy's attacks. With your, your sword, you could wound your enemy. Also, you could defend yourself with your shield and, and breastplate and helmet. And, and, but listen, that's all you could do. With the sword, listen, at least with that, all the other ones, the best you could do if you didn't have your sword, you could just get beat on endlessly or just frankly just run. But the sword is what put a stop to all that. Listen, yes, you could stand there with all the other armor. You could get wailed on, but eventually the enemy would wear you down, right? And, and then you would either get injured or you would get killed. But listen, but with the sword, finally, stop. You get it? I've been saying this from the get-go, guys. The Christian life, we are not meant to just sit there and get hammered on endlessly day after day. We are not, God has not left us hanging high and dry. He has not left you, oh, you're just going to take it and just put up all your other defensive stuff and just get beat on and whacked on and beat on and whacked on and, and just wake up the next day, do it again. Yes, he's given us defensive to protect us from those blows. But God gave us something to say, that's enough. Bang, get out of here. Do you see the importance of this thing? This is awesome. God gave us a sword, okay? Not just to stand there, not to endlessly get whacked on. The sword we could finally fight back and stop the enemy's attacks in the first place. Now, that's because it's a spiritual sword that's used for spiritual attacks. Again, Paul's using an analogy here, right? And that's consistent with where the Bible says the Bible came from. This is not a book whooped up by man. It's a spiritual book. Right? And that's what we see in these passages here. 2 Peter 1.21. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were what? Carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who authored this book. It's a spiritual book. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture. How much? All of it is what? God breathed. God the Spirit. He breathed into this book. It's not a natural book. Man didn't whip this thing up. And therefore it's useful spiritually for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And dare I say for even dealing with spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual book. Okay. In fact, speaking of spiritual, it's a precise book everything we need everything we need to counter the enemy everything we need for life and godliness is right in here in fact the machaira the word there precision cutting instrument that's exactly what the bible says it is too and this is what we see here in hebrews chapter 4 for the word of god is what it's living it's active and it's what sharper than any double-edged sword, like a machaira, and it's a precision instrument. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. How many guys realize that when the word of God gets you, it gets you specifically, right? He knows exactly where to go. He knows exactly where to bring his word to convict you in any situation to cause you to grow. God's word is a precision-cutting instrument, right? So God gives us not just a sword, he gives us a spiritual sword. That's what the word of God is. Why? To listen, not just stare at, not just sit on the shelf and collect dust. It is to be used, listen, to take your enemy out. Why? Because when you look at the scripture, God uses a sword to take his enemies out. Let me demonstrate that. Old and New Testament, very quickly, right? Here's what we see. Isaiah 27.1. In that day, the Lord will punish with his what? His sword, his fierce, great, and powerful sword. God uses a sword. Amos 9.4, though they are driven into exile by their enemies, there I will command the sword to slay them. New Testament, Revelation 7-8, when God dishes out his judgment in the first half in the seals. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And they were given a power over the fourth of the earth to kill by what? 
sword, famine and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. And when Jesus comes back at his second coming, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, how's he going to strike down the nations? I saw heaven standing open. Revelation 19, 11, 13, and 15. Heaven standing open. There before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. And out of his mouth comes a what? A sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. So you see, Old Testament, New Testament, when God wants to take out his enemies, listen, Christian, what does he use? He will use a sword. Now, here's what's good news. God gave us one, too. It's totally consistent. He used a sword, so he says, you're my child, I give you a sword. And that's what this book is right here. It's not just to memorize, to impress your friends. It's not just to get that gold star as cool as that is. It's not just to stare at. It's not just to say, well, I got one. It's somewhere around here. This book, we're to get into this because this is our sword from God. Listen, to take the enemy out. Aren't you sick and tired of it? Do you understand what God has given us in this book? You don't have to live like that anymore. Always just getting beat on and stop. Get the sword, whack him back. And it works every time. God uses a sword to take out his, his enemies. He gives us a sword, his children, to take our enemies as well. It came from God. It's our offensive weapon from our heavenly, heavenly commander. Listen, to precisely cut up and destroy the enemy, no matter what he throws, we got something specifically to go, oh, yeah, watch this. And take him out with the word of God. Isn't that a great gift from God? Absolutely. Now here's our problem. We maybe sometimes know that. But we don't do that. And you know why we don't do that? Because we ain't got nothing to work with. Because we might own a Bible. But you know what we don't do? We don't get into the Bible. So we don't know nothing about this sword. And we got nothing to thrust back. You got to get into this book to thrust back. It's all here. You don't have to live like that if you just get in here. You see, I think that we're focused on all the wrong weaponry, right? Because we'll, we'll deal with weaponry, and we love our weapons. And I'm not against weapons, by the way, and I'll get to that in a second. But let me give you an example, right? We, we talk about, okay, the enemy's coming our way. Ha, ha, ha. So what's our offensive attack? How are we going to Makaira? How are we going to stab him? How are we going to beat him back? Well, our first line of defense apparently is the home security system. That's what we do. And I'm not against that. I got one, Right? But that's what we do. And listen, we spend, this is how much we're interested in this weaponry. Listen, we spend $20.64 billion every year on home security systems. Not million, billion. That's a lot of money, right? Okay, but, but, but hey, that's right. Just in case that doesn't uh, 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 jab the guys bad enough and they still make it through, we got another weapon. We got personal weapons. We got guns. We spend $31.8 billion a year on guns and weaponry and things of that nature. Now, and again, I'm not against owning a gun, right? You guys know my background growing up. I grew up hunting, fishing, trapping. I turned into a city slicker though. But anyway, <laughs> no, I, I know I'm familiar with that. I'm not against gun. I'm not an anti-gun guy or none of that stuff, okay? And, and I believe you need to protect your family. You gotta do what you gotta do. I believe in the second amendment. And by the way, that doesn't mean when it says the right to bear arms, that doesn't mean you got no hair right here, right? That's the wrong kind of bear arms for those of you wondering, right? All three of you, praise God. So I'll pay you later, brother, for that. That's what I'm always talking about. The right to bear arms is for the citizens to have the ability to have weapon in case the government goes bad. And you take it back. Right? We know that. In fact, believe it or not, this might sound strange. I am totally, totally for gun control. Because I believe that when you get a gun, you need to learn to control it properly. That's gun control, right? <laughs> you scared me for a second there, preacher. <laughs> Right? I'm not against that. In fact, hey, hey, I, I was excited. Did you hear the news? The defense budget? Over $700 billion back into our military, right? And they're going to do it again, Lord willing. And it's just, and I'm, I'm all for that, right? You guys know me. I love the military. Come here one of our Memorial Days or Veterans Day. We do it up, man, because we need to honor our armed forces, right? And the military, people who give their lives. On, I'm all for that. In fact, hello, just deal with reality here as, as a nation. Do you think the other countries around the world are just going to lay their arms down? No. So we need a military. And so I'm, all, I'm not against none of that stuff. And we invest in that. We focus on that. We fight for that. And that's what we got to have that right. We got to spend that money. We got we to gotta petition for that. We... And I'm not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm for that. But in essence, what Paul is saying, that's good. 
<clears throat> Take those practical steps against the enemy. But how much are you investing in taking care of your spiritual enemy? I've given you a book that will take him out every single time. Do you see the problem? We're focused on the wrong weaponry. We need to get focused on the weapons that God has given us, okay? This is the point. We have got to get invested in the work of God. Paul is saying, how much more than Christians do you need to be focused offensively on protecting your walk with Jesus Christ, with the word of God, the spirit, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the Bible. Listen, it is our weapon from God. It stops the enemy from attacking. Isn't Think of that. If you get nothing on this sermon, listen. Hey, guess what? Woo-hoo! I, I discovered today God gave us something to stop Having to get attacked endlessly, yes! Okay, apparently you guys didn't drink coffee today. Because <laughs> do you understand what he's given us? If you do, it'll revolutionize. I, I don't know about you, but I, wow, what great news. Oh, I am so sick. I've done so much counseling in so many years, and that's the same thing. Oh, Pastor Bill, I'm so tired. I'm so good. I'm just getting beat up, but it just doesn't stop. And I got, how's your walk with Jesus Christ? Are you in the Word? Because you don't have to live like that. You don't. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. God has given us armor that will beat back every single thing that the enemy throws our way. But we're not in the word, right? We're focused on all the wrong things. No wonder, listen, your walk with Jesus Christ is getting robbed. No wonder you're getting all tied up by the enemy. No, no wonder he's ransacking your life spiritually. No wonder you're walking around getting defeated all the time. You are purposely allowing the enemy to just, as you stand there, he's slapping you silly. Which is about as silly as this scene. Watch this. Get going. That again? It's hard to catch the first time. spaghetti westerns man that's awesome i saw that i'm going man how many of us christians are living like that right needlessly we're just standing there and the enemy's going and we're, we got the same look as that guy and this is what god says christian are you sick and tired of getting slapped around like a spaghetti western spiritually stop you don't have to live like that I've given you what you need. The problem is you're doing everything else but get into the word. Paul is saying, in essence, Christian, you don't have to live that way. Wake up. God gave you a weapon, listen, not just to slap the enemy back, but to stop the slapping in the first place. Isn't that good news? You don't need to stand there and take it. You don't need to live a life like a spaghetti western. And getting slapped around silly, right? God gave you the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's called the Bible. And it defeats the enemy every single time. But you got to get in there. One guy puts it this way. He says, the word of God should be our constant companion. Like a sword that's always at our side. The only way to take up the sword is to immerse ourselves into the word of God. And there are no shortcuts or fast tracks. The only way to take up the sword of the spirit is to spend as much time as possible in the word of God. You got to read it. You got to study it. You got to memorize it, talk about it, chew on it, pray on it, think about it. Attend a church where the word of God is faithfully, systematically taught from beginning to end the whole counsel of God. But beyond this, you can listen to Christian sermons, the Bible on CD when you drive around. Uh, uh, you can tune into a Christian radio station with biblical preaching. You can get involved in a Bible study. What a concept. You can discuss it with other people. In summary, if you want to have your sword with you in spiritual battle, you need to know the Word of God. And the only way to know the Word of God is to spend as much time in it as possible. Listen, Roman soldiers knew that their skill with the sword was their lifeline in the battle. The better you were with your sword, common 
sense, the greater your chances were for survival. And so that is why, listen, the best of the Roman soldiers spent their free time, guess what? Let's break out that sword, baby. I got to master this sword if I'm ever going to survive. And he said, the same is true for the Christian. We need to spend as much time in the Bible as we can. No matter what we do in life, we need to make sure that our sword is always nearby. Amen? That's the first part. The second thing we're going to see is not just an offensive weapon. It can only be taken up by me. And again, this is the consistent, obvious truth, right? Same thing with all the rest of the armor. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, right? Helmet of salvation, so it is of the sword of spirit. Only I can, can take it up. Only I can do it. And that's what Paul says. He says there, take the helmet of salvation and conjunction and the sword of the spirit. We saw before, if you recall, take there is the Greek word dekomai, which means to accept deliberately and receive steadily. You stir that in together with the verb intensive. It's in the aorist, and it means it's an urgent command to do it now. Do not delay. You need to receive. You need to accept. You need to grab the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God now. Why? Because the enemy is after you now, right? I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me, right? And it's a specific attack. The enemy's attacking you. He's attacking me. So I got to pick up my I, Do you hire somebody? You know, sometimes I think we have that mindset. I'll tell you what, if I get into some, some serious spiritual warfare, I'll just wait for one of the deacons to show up. They can get them. They can jab them. Are you kidding me? Praise God that if you need help, yeah, but... The sword is for you. I get phone calls all the time. Pastor Billy, experiencing demonic activity and warfare, and what do we do? And they got like this Catholic mentality with all due respect. Like only the priest can come over and take care of this situation. <laughs> what Bible are you reading? Did you know that in Christ you got the same amount of authority as me? Right? I'm just, I'm a Christian like you. And we all have the authority in the name of Jesus Christ. So guess what? You know what I encourage you to do? I can come over. I can help you. I'm not saying I won't. I'm not saying pray. But did you know you can deal with it right now? You, in the name of Jesus Christ, the authority of him, his name and his word, you can deal with it just as effectively as I can. That's what the enemy doesn't want you to know. That you got your hands tied. Oh, no, it's only those super-duper Christians. The reason why I'm convinced that some Christians are much further along their walk with Jesus Christ is right here. It's because even in their downtime, they're in there sharpening their sword. And these guys ain't getting cut up by the enemy. They're putting a stop to the enemy. It's right here. It's all revolving around the sword. That's what they're spending their time in. Paul says you got to do this right now. He's in essence saying in the Greek, get into the Bible right now. Take the Bible with you. Know your Bible with you right now. Read it right now. Study it right now. Understand what it says right now. Why? Because think about how we approach the enemy. The devil comes after you. Here comes the temptation, whatever it is. Oh yeah? Don't make me stare at the Bible. I'll, oh, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to stare at that thing. Woo-wee, you're going down. What's that? What's that? Oh, you're, oh, you're messing with me again? Pfft, I'll tell you what. You give me about two hours because I forgot where I left it. It's around here somewhere in the house. <laughs> Where's it at? Honey, did you see the Bible? That's, I'm going to get you. That's not how it works. You got to get in there, right? If you're sick and tired of being slapped around, you get into the Word of God. Paul says, right now, stop just standing there going, huh, huh, get into it. Now, take appropriation. But that's not what we do. We study anything and everything but the Word of God, right? And so it doesn't work, of course. We have nothing to fight back with. We do, we just don't utilize it, right? Now, let me break it down because this is really an essence. Let me give you a visual, hopefully. Here's how goofy this is. God's given us everything we need. Yes, I don't have to get slapped around silly like a spaghetti western. I'm free. Woo! Yeah! We don't. And this baby collects dust. And so sometimes we will either just stand there, and we don't even do nothing. Or we do fight back. But we fight back with useless things. We don't fight back with what works every time, the Word of God. Let me give you some examples, because here's what we're investing our time in. Because it's not that we don't have time to become sword masters. Oh, no, no. We just invest our times in everything else but that. Let me give you, so, so here comes the enemy, right? Aha! You're coming after me, devil. 
Well, I've invested so much time in this, you're going down. I'm gone. I stab you with secular psychology. Freud will get you. Carl Jung, he was involved in spiritism. He listened to demons. Freud was a cocaine addict and atheist. You're going down. That ain't going to work. We're going to jab back with that? That's what you spend your time? That's what you're a master of? Aha! Enemy, you're going down. Aha! I, don't make me... I know every sports statistics there ever was in the history of sports in the United States of America. Don't make me quote who won the Super Bowl in 1967. You're going down. Like that's going to work? Aha! I tell you what, I know everything there is about local news. I know the weather. I know what's going on here. I'm going to take you down with the news report with what's going on in downtown Las Vegas. No, I know, hey, haha, Hollywood icon, best selling novels, your days are numbered. Because I know everything on the, I, I spend so much time in all this secular stuff. It's not that we don't have time, we've been duped. We're masters of all the wrong things, and every one of those things will not take the enemy out. And tell me that's not spiritual warfare. Let me give you one more visual, because God gives us a what? A sword, the Bible, of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He gives us a sword to take the enemy out. So in essence, this is really what we're doing, right? Enemy comes up. I got my little props here, right? Aha! Enemy, you're going down. I come against you with the sack of psychology. You're going down, down. Your days are numbered. Take that. Take that. Take no, no, hey, you're coming. What's that? Oh, you're going down, dude. The sock of statistics. Woo-hoo! Whoa! I know who won the hockey back in 19... I know everybody who got the high... Don't make it me sock it to you. <laughs> you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. Wow. Can you believe that? Aha! I tell you what, boy. You're, I'm going to poke you straight in the eye with this spaghetti of bestsellers. You're and that's what he does. He just eats it. Thanks for the snack, pal. It's goofy. And I got to thinking about this. That's really what we're doing. A sword will stab your enemy. I'm sorry. You're not going to sack your enemy to death. God's watching this. Let me finish that so I don't choke. God's watching this. He's watched, guys, he's watched us do this. Oh, oh, oh. And you know he's got to be up there going, you know, because the angels are watching, right? He's got to be going up there. Yeah. That's my kid. Mighty warrior. Look at him. Sucking it to him. Are you kidding me? He's probably sitting there going, what are you guys? What'd you do? He chicken. What is wrong with you? What are you, what, I didn't give you a sack of psychology. I didn't give you a sock of stupid statistics. I gave you a sword, just like I used to take out my enemies. The sword of the Spirit. This is my word. It'll take the enemy out every time. Pick it up and use it. What are you guys doing? And then you come to me every day, and you got that same look on your face. God, I don't know why, God. He's, he's got to be watching this. Get into the Word of God. That's all in that word, take up. That's what Paul's take up. What are you doing now? Urgent hurry. Stop that stuff. That's goofy. Now, as we close, let me give you one more thing. There's one more thing going on here that just, if you get this one, this will really blow you away. No wonder the enemy wants us in anything and everything but the Bible. Because what we're going to see in one Greek word, this is cool. One Greek word. God didn't give us just a sword, singular, of the Spirit. This book is a book of swords by the tens of thousands. He doesn't just give us a book singular with one single sword. This is a spiritual armory full of thousands of swords. Now, I'm not making that up. That's all from one Greek word that is used here uh, called rhema. That when, when Paul uses that word here, okay? Let me tell you the importance of that. You see, when he says there, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, right? The word there, it's not lagos in the Greek. That means all the Bible. Rhema means a specific word that's in the Bible. Now, let, me, let me explain that. You don't have a sword simply by 
having or owning a Bible. It's not, well, I got my Bible, so I got my sword. No, that's not what the Greek says. When the biblical authors wanted to refer to the whole Bible, they used the word logos. Okay, logos meant word. It means all of the written word of God. In its entirety, written down. That's logos. But logos is not the word that Paul used here. Instead, he uses the word rhema. Rhema does not refer to the entire Bible in its written form. Listen, instead it refers to a specific individual verse, a specific individual passage from the Bible. Maybe these are the verses that you memorize, that you can recite when they're needed. Or maybe the specific passages you know where they occur in the Bible so that you can find them when you need them. That is a rhema word. So with that in mind, here's what it means. The Bible is, listed not merely a sword of the Spirit. It is the armory of the Spirit. There are thousands upon thousands and ten thousands of rhema swords in the Bible. And every single one of them is powerful, is precise, like a two-edged sword. If Paul meant that the sword was the Bible, he would have used logos, but he didn't. He used rhema, which means that the sword of the Spirit is the individual verses, the individual phrases and passages of the Bible, which we wield quickly in battle, which we stab back at the enemy. A lot of people think that they don't have to study the Bible. They don't have to listen to sermons. They don't have to have daily devotions because the Holy Spirit can just pop in a verse in their mind when they need it. Now, the Spirit could do this, but he most often doesn't. John 16 tells us that he helps us remember what we have learned, but he can't have you remember something you have never learned. So the responsibility is you need to get into the Word, and only then will he help you remember the specific rhema word you need in a specific attack. So every time you memorize a verse or learn where it can be found in the Bible, listen, you added another sword to your arsenal. Everything, every time you knew something new about a verse, you've sharpened the blades on that sword. Every time you learn a new way to apply a verse, you become quicker and more deadly in using that sword. That is why so much patience is needed, as Paul says, to correctly handle the word of truth. What he's saying is, again, this is not a single, the, every verse is a sword. So what God gives us is a whole armory. You don't just got one weapon, you got tens of thousands. And so when the enemy comes your way, he's like, go for it, pal. Because I have a specific Machairus precise weapon to take you out every single time. I don't care what angle you come against me. I've got a weapon from God in here designed to take you out. Isn't that awesome? But how are you going to even know any of them if you never get in here? Now what's wild as we close, let me just demonstrate this with you. That's the same word that Jesus used when he was tempted the devil. It was rhema. Let me, let me show you how it works, right? Let's break it down here, right? Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was what? He was hungry. So the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, uh, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every what? Word, that's rhema there, word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. What's he coming back with every single time? Right? Jesus didn't say, Oh, don't make me show you my Bible. Right, Sam? He's old. Oh, I tell you, uh, there's something in here. I'm telling you, you got, he's throwing back what at him? He's throwing back Raymond. He's throwing back specific passages in the Bible. It's the same thing that Paul says for us, right? So he throws back that and he says, and then uh, he says, all this I'll give you if you bow down and worship me, right? And so Jesus again, he said, what? Away from me, Satan. A specific verse he pulls out. Rama, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. It's absolutely consistent. Jesus, the word of God, okay, used the word of God, Rama, to specifically counter the devil. It's the same thing that you and I. We don't throw the whole Bible at him, right? We throw a specific verse from the Bible at him because every single verse is there designed to counteract a specific attack from the enemy, right? But again, if you never get in here, you can't use it. Do you see why the enemy wants us to read best-selling novels? Do you see why he wants us to become full of useless information? Do you see why he wants us to understand, listen, and read, and invest what spare time? We're all busy, but what spare time I got? What's the last thing we want to get into? The one book that we can access 
that gives us, every time we get into it, another sword, another sword, another sword, another sword. Thousands of them. I got thousands of these babies at my, oh, just bring it on, dude. I got so many swords, I need a wheelbarrow now. I'm ready for the U-Haul. Bring it. We don't even have a sword because we don't even get in here. Jesus used individual verses. He used the rhema. Paul is saying we need to do the same thing. When Jesus used the rhema, what happened? He quit. He quit. And he not just quit, he left. Wouldn't that be awesome if when we experienced that, and it might take one rhema, might take two rhemas, maybe it takes three, like Jesus, I don't know. But what's going to happen? You keep throwing rhema at him, what's going to happen? He will leave. There's the answer. You don't have to live like that anymore. Isn't that awesome? Now, one last way. I just want to make sure that we get this. So I want to give you an analogy, right? Study whatever you want, the enemy says, but just don't let it be the Bible. Read whatever you want, the enemy says, just don't let it be the Bible. Learn whatever you want, just don't let it be the Bible. Grab that sock, grab that sack, grab that spaghetti noodle, have at it, buddy. Just don't access this spiritual armory. Please don't. So how do you do it? How do, you, how do we break it down for us today? When the enemy comes at us, how do we attack with the rhema word of God? Well, it's basically you take what the enemy throws at you and you retranslate it, right? And the more you know the Bible, the more that sword pops up in your head. And you know how to retranslate it, right? And it goes away. Now, we've seen this device before, but this is a great analogy, you need to take what somebody's, the enemy's coming against you with and retranslate it into something positive like this translator device. Let's take a look. Hey, are you golfing today? Yeah. It's the second time this week. But you said it was fine. It is fine. It's perfectly fine. Are you confused by female behavior? Wish you had a translator to understand what she means? Well, you're in luck. Introducing the Manslater, a revolutionary device that translates woman language into simple man words. Finally, the power to know what she means. Okay, cool, let me just check with my wife. Hey babe, a tea time opened up later, you mind if I go? Fine, if that's what you wanna do. No go, stay home! On second thought, I think I'll just stay here with you and watch the notebook. Aww. Now that's more like it. The Manslater uses emotion deciphering technology to help you out of the toughest jams. Hey, is everything okay? You sound upset. Why would I be upset? Forgot anniversary, jerk! Oh, no way! Happy anniversary, babe. You remembered. Come on, of course I did. Thanks to the Manslater's patented FemLogic processing chip, now any man can decode statements like... Are you wearing that? You change! Now! Hey, do you want to get some coffee? Me want coffee! Do you think she's pretty? You think she? Prettier than me? Aww, you're such a good friend. Me never date you! I'm fine. Me not fine! I'll be ready in five minutes. Me ready 30 minutes! Do whatever you want. Could you rub my shoulders a little bit? No, hanky-panky. Only massage. Be serious! The man's later even works on men. Finally, women can learn the deeper meaning of his words. Whoa. Your beauty is stunning. Hey, mind if I catch a movie with the guys? You are a lovely, wonderful woman who meets all of my needs. And even though I will miss you, this night I wish to see Death Cop 9 with my bros. I'm fine. I'm fine, really. At me. The Manslater can even be customized, with voices of real celebrities being impersonated, like Yoda. In much trouble you are, do the doghouse go you? Or Mr. T. I pity the fool who leaves the toilet seat up. So get your Manslater today. Clarity is just a phone call away. You need buy me! <laughs> Yeah. Once again, brother, please be careful how you clap there, buddy. So.
Hey, how many guys, did you write down that number? You gonna, you gonna order that thing when you get home, all right? All right, for those of you who just raise your hand, let me translate that for you. When you're in the car on the way home and you say, hey, something's wrong, you, and she says, uh, I'm fine, you know what she says? No, me not fine, all right? You just got in big trouble, okay? But seriously, that translator device with all sense of humor, that really is what we're doing on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, not just trying to understand each other as husband and wife, but that's really in essence what we need to do, pay attention to your brain when the enemy comes your way. Right? And what you do is he comes at you and it's like, that doesn't seem to make sense. Or what, where, where'd that come from? What, and then you quickly, quickly, your knee-jerk reaction is, bang, you come back with the word slater. And you retranslate it according to the word of God with a specific frame of word. Right? That's what you, you got every, it's a moment-by-moment -moment thing. How do you do this thing? How do you thrust back? How do you, it's a moment-by-moment. -moment. When he comes at you in your brain, you need to quickly translate it according to this book. And it goes away. Let me give you a couple examples of using specific rhema words on a specific attack, right? Uh, uh, maybe you're getting low on the finances, right? Hey, sometimes high time, low times, it happens, right? Uh, maybe things are getting a little tight. Maybe you're wondering how you're going to pay these bills and what's the enemy do? He capitalizes on that, doesn't he? Oh, look at you. You're not going to make it this time, Christian. You're old. What kind of a God do you serve? He won't provide for you. What do you do? You retranslate it. Right? With the word of God. You throw back a rhema word at him. Several of them. Psalm 37, 35. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. We see God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Right? Philippians 4, 19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you see how it works? The enemy comes. He tries to rent space in your head. He puts a lie out. Bang! What do you do? You bring back the rhema word of God. And guess what? It goes away. Let me give you another one. You don't need to whine and complain. Maybe the enemy's laughing at you. Maybe he's tormenting. Maybe he's scoffing at you because guess what? You did blow it with sin big time this week. And what's he do every single time? Ah, ha, ha, ha. Look at you, Christian. What kind of a Christian are you? You don't deserve to be a Christian. What, God doesn't love you. What do you do? You come back. You're translated through the word of God. Grab the sword of the spirit and throw a rhema word at him. Several of them. Romans 8, 1. There now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins and purifies from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Hebrews 8, 12. For God will forgive all of our wickedness and will remember our sins no more. Get out of here, enemy. You do not have authority over this life and I'm going to jab you back with a rhema word from God. And he goes away. Let me give you one more. Maybe you're being persecuted. You're living the Christian life. The world hates that. Maybe they're saying they're going to take your life. Maybe they're threatening you. Maybe you're starting to freak out. Maybe you're getting a little afraid. And the enemy, he's coming at you. He's trying to rent space in your head. So what do you do? You, once again, you retranslate it with the word of God and you throw back a rhema at him. Specific words, right? Hebrews 13, 6. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 18, 2-3. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield, my horn, and my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 27, 1-3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid though an army besiege me my heart will not fear though a war break out against me even then I will be confident right Psalm 91 uh, the scripture says 1 through 7 he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty I will say the Lord he is my refuge my God whom I trust surely he will save you from the fowler snare from the deadly pestilence he'll cover you with his feathers under his wings you'll find refuge his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart you will not fear the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by the day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or the plague that destroys him day a thousand may fall at your side ten thousand at your right hand but it will not come near you why because first john 4 4 greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world and the enemy goes away Amen. every single time this is what god you don't have to live a life christian anymore bang 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 all day long he just beats you down every day i just got when's it gonna stop on you stand Ooh. right here Not just the sword, but the armory of swords is sitting there collecting dust. And God's watching this, going, why? I've given you everything you need. Would you just get in there? Would you become a sword master? And would you take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, 
and use all the rhema words I've given you. Listen, to take him out every single time. Now do you see why, again, the enemy, read that newspaper. Study those sports statistics. Grab every bestseller you can get your hand on. Learn everything about Hollywood and the latest gossip and all that stuff. What's going on with those incredible people. Do anything! But get in this book. Because right here is the answer to shutting his mouth every single time. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those, of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The fifth commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that. Really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more, the Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You'll be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, Number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins against Him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. 
For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.